All right, friends, today we are kicking off our new series that's kind of set our focus for this whole summer season that we're in. So new summer sermon series today. Woohoo! And our intention with this series is to keep opening up Sunday mornings as a place for us to find connection and language and perspective for what we're experiencing right now. So that means in the midst of pandemic and its social, emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial effects on us. And in the midst of political volatility that we're in right now, in the midst of the awakening to the injustices our black siblings face and the need to heal our systems, And then yes, also including just the everyday stuff that we are in too, like the joys and heartbreaks and life that we're each experiencing right now. So to do all of this, like that's kind of asking a lot of a sermon series, right? Which is why we are landing this series, spending time in the longest book of the Bible. And as longest, you know, it has the most words and possibilities available to us. And that just seems like a good approach to these unbelievable times that we are in, yes? especially since this book of the Bible speaks more clearly to what it means to be human than any other book. It's a book believed to have been written over the course of a thousand years. Over the years, this collection captured the language and prayer and song of God's people. It is packed with an incredible breadth of emotion that oftentimes comes across as shocking to those who think That prayer and worship are things that should always just kind of be sparkly and easy. The writers of this book stare into the face of real circumstances in the real world and all encountered in the embrace of God. The people of God have benefited for thousands of years because of the raw, vulnerable places to which the writers of this book give poetic expression. So can you guess which book it is that we are going to land in for the summer? So if you know, on the count of three, I want you to shout it out with me, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Habakkuk! Just kidding. It's Psalms! It's Psalms! Yay! So there are 150 Psalms. Uh, When you crack open your Bible, when it falls to the middle, like, you'll find the Psalms. It's right there in the middle. It's the longest book of the Bible with such a wide breadth of human emotion and experience. Because the faith of Israel became the literature of the Psalms. The book of the Psalms is the lived experience of God's people, Israel, expressed, which is just incredible. We call them songs. We call them the poetry of of the Jews as our grandparents, right? They're our grandparents of our shared tradition. We will only scratch the surface of a few Psalms, but just to have the Psalms available to us in this season we're living in right now feels so right. And today, I want to take this time right now to orient us with the lens that we're going to use for how we read the Psalms. Okay, so it comes from the Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann, who has been influenced by many scholars too. And I'm going to borrow heavily from Brueggemann's book uh, called Spirituality of the Psalms. Brueggemann helps readers see that the Psalms basically depict three experiences that we face as human beings in relation to God, and he describes them as Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Brueggemann suggests that the Psalms can be roughly grouped into these different ways, and the flow of human life characteristically is located either in the actual experience of one of these settings or in the movement from one to the next. 
So the Psalms express the experience of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, or the transitions between those experiences. So I love this particular lens of the Psalms because reading the Psalms this way, it holds together the value of like critical study and the realities of life. So we get to read the Psalms both theologically and devotionally. You with me? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really great lens. So I'm going to just lay the foundation for understanding this lens. I kind of dig into it. Seeing the Psalms as expressing the human experience of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and we'll add to this lens in the weeks to come too, because there's always much more to it than what I can say in this time. So this sermon time today will be a lot of information, so it's going to feel more like a class than usual as we settle into this new series. So take a deep breath with me, uh, get some oxygen flowing into that brain as we set the framework in place for the Psalms. So as we do this, I'll offer a few different Psalms as examples, and these are our readings for today. And when I do read those, I invite you to do two things. First, let your heart be open into that place where you hear it devotionally, even as this is a more kind of theological framework that we're laying today, okay? So open up your heart and just kind of listen in those moments where we read the Psalms. And if possible, the second thing, as I read them, see which of the Psalms that I share, which, which one stirs you a bit today? Which one kind of gets you? So I'll say the Psalm, which, what's it ad, what its address is at the end. So uh, if possible, write that down or just try to remember that, okay? Or even in the comments, you can say, ooh, that one was really good or that was hard or that seems really true, okay? Okay, so also as we go through this, we'll be um, filling out a graphic with kind of keywords and definitions and important bits of how this all holds together. We will post that uh, near the end in the comments uh, for folks to have or to see if you want to have that for later too, okay? Okay, all right, first let's talk about Psalms of Orientation. So Brueggemann characterizes these as songs of guaranteed creation. This is kind of knowing where we are in creation. So psalms of orientation express the seasons when we feel satisfied. Things are good. You know, they articulate the variety of ways we experience joy, delight, goodness, coherence, like things just making sense, God's goodness and reliability, feeling connected to God's good creation, and the sense of God's kind of governing movements in all things. These times orient us. They give us grounding, location, identity, centering. Psalms of orientation express those things. So Brueggemann says this of Psalms of orientation. He says, They were created, transmitted, valued, and relied upon by a community of faithful people. To these people, their faith was both important and satisfying. A beginning theological point for the Psalms are those songs that express a confident, serene settlement of faith issues. Some things are settled and beyond doubt, so that one does not live and believe in the midst of overwhelming anxiety. Such a happy settlement of life's issues occurs because God is known to be reliable and trustworthy. This community has decided to trust in this particular God. Many of the songs give expression to that happy settlement, to the reality that God is trustworthy and reliable, and to the decision to stake life on this particular God. 
That's good stuff, what Brueggemann says about orientation. So these are, um, let's walk through four common types of orientation psalms. You don't have to memorize these types. They're going to pop up on the screen. Um, you can memorize them if you'd like. Uh, but I, have, I find it helpful to see these kind of in greater specificity. So the first type of orientation psalm are songs of creation. The most foundational experience of orientation is our lived daily experience of life, just how the order of things around us ground us because they are experienced as constant, equitable, and generous. The community that composes and sings these psalms see that uh, God's way of bestowing blessing, the world is God's way of bestowing blessing upon us. Our times are ordered by God according to the seasons of the year, according to the seasons of life, according to the needs of the day. So the psalms of creation express this kind of safety and freedom and groundedness in the order and beauty and choreography of God in our world around us. So Psalm 8 is a well-known song of creation which begins, again, breathe with me, hear this. When I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is humanity that you should be mindful of us? That's Psalm 8. We feel how, you know, when we read these psalms, how we exist, we're oriented within the creation around us. That's what songs of creation can do. So that's songs of creation. Another uh, song of orientation, a type, is songs of Torah. So for Israel, the good order of creation is concretely experienced for Israel as the Torah. Christians often think of the Torah like, oh, that's the law, something kind of rigid, or oh, it's the five books of the Bible, but often we have negative, like, constricting associations with what Torah is. But the Torah for Israel is God's movement and purpose expressed in the very structures of life. I mean, it's law really only in the sense that it's the way that things are, right? That's how we live into this experience. That's, that's what it is. So while creation is sustained by God's faithfulness, it also makes sense and is peaceable because of Israel's obedience and attention to the way that God has ordered life. So creation and Torah are understood kind of together. The Torah articulating God's intention for Israel in creation. So the very first psalm, Psalm 1, is a song of Torah. It begins, O oh God, so many people have turned against me. So many are in open rebellion. More and more are telling me, no deliverance is coming to you from God. But you, Yahweh, are my protection, my glory, the one who helps me hold up my head. I cry aloud to you, Yahweh, and you answer me from the mountain of your holiness. So that's Psalm 1, the first four verses. So we hear that connectedness of God's presence in creation and Torah. So those are songs of Torah, another kind of psalm of, disorient, or of, of orientation. So next are the wisdom psalms. Wisdom psalms are distinct in that they have an instructive tone and relatively flexible shape. So they kind of look a little bit different, but you hear that kind of teaching that's in there. Psalm 37 is an example of a wisdom psalm. The first four verses go like this, okay? Psalm 37. Do not be vexed by evildoers, and don't be envious of the corrupt. They'll soon fade like the grass and wither away like unwatered plants. Trust in Yahweh and do good, and you'll dwell in the land and enjoy security. Delight in Yahweh, 
and you'll be given the desires of your hearts. Psalm 37, 1 through 4. So you can hear like that instructive tone, like just here's what you should do, right? Those are wisdom psalms when we hear that. And finally, in our lineup of psalms of orientation, we have occasions of well-being. So these songs are expressions of more specific occurrences of our life, like birth, marriage, death, seed time, and harvest. Psalm 133 is an example of occasions of well-being, which reads, See how good, how pleasant it is for God's people to live together as one. It is like precious oil on Aaron's head, running down on his beard, running down to the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on the hills of Zion, for that is where Yahweh bestows the blessing, life that never ends. Psalm 133, occasions of well-being. So these are the four forms that psalms of orientation often take. Again, these are psalms that ground us. But then, we don't stay in season of orientation. Brighamon also describes those places of movement that happen in between the seasons because, as he says, life is not simply an articulation of a place in which we find ourselves. It is also a movement from one circumstance to another, changing and being changed, finding ourselves surprised by a new circumstance we did not expect, resistant to a place, clinging desperately to the old circumstance, So we will suggest that the life of faith expressed in the Psalms is focused on the two decisive moves of faith that are always underway, by which we are regularly surprised and which we regularly resist. That's what he says about these transitions times, the movements in between these three places where we find ourselves. So one move that we make is out of that settled orientation into a season of disorientation. So that first move is... A relinquishment. It's not just that things change, but that we experience and acknowledge that change. This may be like an abrupt or it's a slowly emerging acknowledgement as we come to terms with it. It contains a dismantling of the old known world and the relinquishment of safe, reliable confidence in God's good creation. So when in this movement we experience a dismantling that includes a rush of negativities like rage, resentment, guilt, shame, isolation, despair, hatred, and hostility. Brueggemann says says this, that he says that it is a move that characterizes much of the Psalms in the form of the complaint and the lament. The complaint psalm is a painful, anguished articulation of a move into disarray and dislocation. The complaint song is a candid, even if unwilling, embrace of a new situation of chaos, now devoid of the coherence that marks God's good creation. The sphere of disorientation may be quite personal and intimate, or it may be massive and public. Either way, it is experienced as a personal end of the world, or it would not generate such passionate poetry. For Israel, these were their times of suffering. For Jesus followers, our embrace of disorientation is decisively embodied in the crucifixion of Jesus. This becomes the model for all dying that must be done in faith. That's why some interpreters find it possible to say that the voice of anguish in the book of songs is indeed the voice of the crucified one. These times of facing deaths of all sorts lead us into 
disorientation, okay? So we're moving into disorientation. So we all know seasons of disorientation. And I mean, just (laughs) look around, right, at our world right now. Psalms of disorientation express the anguished seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death. These are the songs of disarray. So we know this is life. Brueggemann goes on to say this about psalms of disorientation. So the use of these psalms of darkness may be judged by the world to be acts of unfaith and failure, but for the trusting community, their use was an act of bold faith. On the one hand, because it insists that the world must be experienced as it really is and not in some pretended way. On the other hand, it is bold because it insists that all such experiences of disorder are a proper subject for discourse with God. Nothing is out of bounds. Everything properly belongs in this conversation of the heart. To withhold parts of life from that conversation is in fact to withhold parts of life from the sovereignty of God. Thus, these songs make the important connection. Everything must be brought to speech, and everything brought to speech must be addressed to God, who is the final reference for all of life. Oh, I just love that. That is so good. So psalms of disorientation have two common factors in them. First, that the range of expression with its complaint, like its, its scandalous and accusing tone, it doesn't pull any punches, right? They get in Yahweh's face about whatever it is. And this is key. It's expected and presumed that Yahweh receives the fullness of Israel's cry. Again, nothing is out of bounds, and God receives it all. Modeling such candor, right, in this conversation with God. But the second then common factor is that the form that the Psalms of disorientation take is always, it always begins with the plea, uh, which has often these common steps are in there. We'll, get it, we'll break it down into greater detail in a later sermon. So it begins with plea, and then it moves to praise. Plea and praise, that's a psalm of disorientation, which is just fascinating to consider that there is that shift there. So Psalm 13 is a psalm of disorientation. In the more traditional version, it begins, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But I'm going to read the message version. Uh, Notice the switch from plea to praise that happens. So here is uh, Psalm 13 in its entirety. Long enough, God. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough, I've carried this ton of troubles, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God. My God, I want to look life in the eye. So no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. Man, such strong language, such deep pain, and then it shifts into such praise. There are a great variety of psalms of disorientation. Complaint songs constitute a very considerable part of that collection, and there are both 
personal complaint songs and communal complaint songs. Personal complaint songs, those are the most common. Folks crying out about their individual experience that has changed and they do not like it. So these are the speeches of caged men and women getting familiar with their new place, feeling the wall for a crack, hunting in the dark for hidden weapons. Brueggemann notes how it's the function of the songs to enable the speaker to completely reject the old orientation. That song helps facilitate that moving on from the old way. And the old way is seen as, if not false, at least inadequate for the new circumstance. So Psalm 13, which we just read, is a personal complaint song, right? How long, O Lord? Communal complaint songs take the complaint into the public sphere. Uh, In a general way, the public disasters of Israel were not unlike ours. War, drought, famine, Israel's communal communal prayer also centered around the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians. That focus, it's kind of harder for us to understand today. You see, the temple had come to be the point of reference for all life. So its destruction meant the loss of the center of their shared life and a profound public disorientation. So shared meaning and values, they seemed to like disappear or at least were severely placed in jeopardy. So I will say, given our current context, Israel's experience of the temple in this way, in that destruction, feels more familiar to us than it would have a year ago, Right? What we are experiencing today in our world with COVID, as well as the awakening to the injustices of racialization, is perhaps our first real taste of what it means to have a public communal shared experience of disorientation. 9-11 would be another for our country. So like on that level, we may be able to relate to the communal psalms of complaint in ways we previously didn't have the capacity to understand. So when you read about the temple's destruction, we just be like, okay, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yes, I know we have some communal complaining to do these days too. So Psalm 79 is a communal complaint song which begins, God, barbarians have broken into your home, violated your holy temple, left Jerusalem a pile of rubble. So there is so much more to say about psalms of destruction or of disorientation, including the destruction of the temple. But those psalms of disorientation, man, there's, there's so much more to say, but so we're going to leave some of it for another time in future sermons, but hopefully you're kind of getting the picture, okay? Okay, so obviously and thankfully, the move into disorientation is not the only move made in the faith of Israel or in the literature of the Psalms. The second move, the second move of faith also characterizes many of the Psalms in the form of hymns and songs of thanksgiving. So these express the transitions of faith, the movement out of disorientation. Though there is the occasional psalm, like Psalm 88, where the speaker is left in the pit, that is not usually the case. Instead, the songs stay with the experience and bring the speech to a second decisive move, from disorientation to new orientation or reorientation. Remarkably, beautifully, the psalms regularly bear witness to the surprising gift of new life just when none has been expected. That new orientation is not a return to the old, stable orientation, for there is no going back to what was. Once there's been such an exchange of true candor and honesty, 
As there is in the Psalms between Yahweh and Israel, there is no return to how it was before. Instead, the speaker and the community of faith are often surprised by grace in a new place. And the Psalms of reorientation express the human experience, the turns of surprise when we are overwhelmed with the new gifts of God and when joy breaks through the despair where there has been only darkness, there is light. Songs of new orientation speak boldly about a new gift from God, a fresh intrusion that makes all things new. These psalms affirm a sovereign God who draws humankind into a new situation. So for Israel, this is what Jewish hope looked like. For Jesus followers, this is decisively embodied in the resurrection of Jesus. Just as we live through times of deaths, we will face God's new life, a new orientation on the other side of disorientation of death. There is resurrection. Reorientation is where we find our songs of surprising new hope. That's and life. The most obvious sign of new orientation is the thanksgiving song, which can be personal or communal. So personal thanksgivings are most common. The speaker is now on the other side of the lament or complaint. God has acted in response to help. These psalms tell stories of going into the trouble and coming out of the trouble. Another form of psalms of reorientation are hymns of praise, which I know can kind of sound similar to Thanksgiving, but they are public songs that are sung with abandonment in praise to God for the character of God's person or the nature of God's creating and liberating actions. So when it comes to reorientation songs, the tricky piece is that we kind of have to decide whether a particular psalm speaks of old orientation or reorientation, right? Because both have that flavor of kind of celebrating God's goodness. But one thing to look for, a little key that you can hold on to, is how declarative something is versus descriptive. If it's more declarative, like you feel like there should be like trumpets blowing behind it, it's likely speaking of reorientation. Versus if it's kind of toned down a bit and there's a bit more descriptive, then it's probably old orientation. So Psalm 100 is a hymn of praise. So it's a reorientation psalm, specifically a hymn of praise, and it reads this way. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship Yahweh with gladness. Come before the Lord with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is Yahweh who made us and not we ourselves. We are God's people, the sheep of God's pasture. Enter the Lord's gates with thanksgiving and the Lord's courts with praise. Give thanks to Yahweh and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. God's faithfulness continues through all generations. That's a reorientation psalm. Being reoriented by God, yes? Man, are you still with me? Okay, because there, there, there we have our framework for reading Psalms this summer. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And of course, this isn't something we experience once in our life and then like one and done. We don't always follow this linearly. In different ways, we frequently find ourselves in varying conditions in relation to God. Like it's not difficult to see how yesterday's reorientation becomes today's old orientation, right? And the same psalm that we encounter may even express like either just kind of given the day. So even as we've laid all this out, we, do, we don't take it too precisely. 
For life is, in fact, more spontaneous and organic than that, as we know. But what fun and meaning we get to find when we have a lens to see with greater clarity our own stories and pains and joys expressed by God's people centuries ago. So, are you excited to be immersed in the Psalms this summer? It's gonna be good! So to close this out, just two things to offer us. First, check in with yourself. As you absorb this, where are you now? Are you in a season of orientation, disorientation, or reorientation? What resonates for you in the kind of season you are in now? Are you transitioning between one or the other? I think pre-COVID, we would have a vast array of answers to this, right? But a larger percentage than usual is probably camping out in disorientation or the movements to or from it. But what is it for you? A way to answer this might be to ask which of the psalms resonated for you today and what kind of psalm was it? What season is it for you? I invite you just to answer that. We'd love to see a response to the comments for for just where you are and even why you think you might be there. And then second, finally, I invite you to read the Psalms this summer. Start at the beginning. Read a few Psalms a day or whatever you can. Immerse yourself in Israel's expression of life and relationship with God. Learn to identify these different types of Psalms and find your own experience put into song as you read. That is what makes the story of God so incredible. This story that continues to speak to us and, to, and of us, even now. So let's get our psalm on this summer together. Amen? Amen.